1: Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, we have amazing guests join us to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, and their life. And today, you're gonna hear a remarkable story we've had in the past, the honor of bringing on number one national best-selling authors and incredible presenters, huge business thinkers and leaders i've brought my own mom onto the show but something that we've never had on a guest that we've never brought on is a supermodel and today that's exactly who we are lucky enough to bring on and not only is Leodero going to talk about her experience in the modeling industry but she's going to share with us ultimately what she realized about real beauty Stay tuned because at the end of our interview, I'm going to be able to bring her kind of off stage and have her answer a question that during the interview itself I was not able to ask. It's a incredibly important question, and her answer is remarkable. So stick around not only for her interview, but for uh, O'Leary After Hours. You're going to love it the, on the back side of this podcast. So get ready for that one, my friends. So buckle up. Tune in, open up your journals, your minds, and your hearts, and get ready for our guest today. Her name is Leah Darrow. Leah Darrow, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you. Boom. Good to be here. <laughs> you are here. You are in studio. We are honored that you're part of this. For the ladies and gentlemen who tune in and may not yet know the name Leah, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about the work that you do today and tell us a little bit about your family.
0: Sure. Um, so, yeah, so I'm Leah Darrow. Most people know me because I was on the TV show America's Next Top model, and that was years ago. Um, But since then, I've kind of exited out of that world, and uh, I've been brought to a place where um, I am a public speaker, motivational speaker. I'm an author. I have my own podcast, too. I'm married. I've got three little kids of my own, ages three, two, and one. Oh, my gosh. So I have, like, tons of time on my hands, you know? It's totally free. Yes. (laughs) But um, so I'm busy, obviously, just living life with my family. And then um, when the opportunity presents itself, going out and inspiring people to hopefully Um, do something really amazing and beautiful with their life.
1: Great. Awesome. And um, you are a busy lady. I look forward to finding out a little bit more about how you are managing motherhood, (laughs) spousal relationships, work, speaking, writing, podcast, and finding time at some point to take a shower
0: Right, Let usually that's eat. on like, that's at like the last of the list yeah, is like is. personal hygiene for a mom, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I'm, well, I am somehow fix it. Well, you it did it today. There. Congratulations I, I on did. the shower.
1: If I nothing did. else, you look great. <laughs>
0: I brush my teeth. I need to tell the world about it.
1: <laughs> I'm, I am truly glad and honored that you're here, and yet your story doesn't start down here in studio with John O'Leary. It, it begins... I think in Oklahoma. Is that where you were born?
0: That's right. Yeah, born and raised in Oklahoma, on a farm in Oklahoma. Um, My family and I lived on a farm um, with like over 300 acres. We had land all around Oklahoma. Okay. Um, But yeah, my nearest neighbor was like probably 10, 15 miles away. What was life
1: like growing up on a farm with 300 acres? Quiet. Yeah.
0: And nice. Um, I, you know, I grew up in in a really great home. Um, my mom and dad are, are still alive and, and they live right here in St. Louis. And um, But back in Oklahoma, it was just me and my brothers and sisters. I'm the oldest of six. And it was just, I really value that time because it gave me a chance to sit and think and dream and hope and... I had space and the quiet to do that, and uh, that's something that I think sometimes we often don't get the opportunity mm. to do as much anymore: is to sit in the quiet and to sit without the noise and to just dream, and and think about what what could I do or what what could life be. And I I was blessed with that opportunity, so it was really great.
1: What was your father like?
0: <sighs> my dad. My dad. We called him growing up. Um the no man. Because <laughs> it was like, Dad, can I no. Dad, but dad can I do no. But dad, can I have this? No, no, no. Um, and there were a lot of no's I heard from my father. Uh, but those no's had a purpose and they had something behind it, even though if I didn't understand it right away. My dad was somebody who was very big on helping us understand the value of the dollar of working for it and also within justice too, like what is just and what is right. Um, And so he always made sure that all of us kids did not um, believe or, or treat ourselves or others as doormats, as using people just to get someplace or to get somewhere or to make money. Mm. He was very big on that. Like, you don't, we just don't treat people that way. We don't treat ourselves that way. And he's taught us to be strong. He taught us to be honest, and I remember, uh, in particular, if I had to sum up one story about my dad, it would be this. I was in grade school in Oklahoma, and there was an altercation on the playground, and I was in sixth grade, and I had a younger brother at that point who was in first grade. And my younger brother was, was having a rough time, and people were making fun of him, and they were calling him really terrible names. And it really was getting to my brother, but he wasn't saying much. And then I kept watching it happen. Being in sixth grade, I'd watch these kids actually in my grade uh, bully my little brother. So on the playground one afternoon, I decided to do something about it. And I remember seeing there was this, the boy who was the bully. He was swinging in one of the swings and I just went behind the swing and I pushed him out of it. And I, you don't mess with Leah's family, family. So I proceeded to like, um, literally get on top of him and just, just, just punch him and just. Just, you know, beat him up. And I was just this I was just so upset. And I was like, you're not going to do this to my brother anymore. And this was definitely I don't advocate that you you shouldn't (laughs) be beating people up. But I was 12 and, and a little frustrated in my life. And so um and so anyways, these Catholic nuns were pulling me off of this kid at the playground, beating him up, and they take me to the principal's office, and my parents come, and they take me home. And we're in the parking lot. My mom and dad, my dad was called from work, so he came down to meet my mom as they picked me up from school and the rest of the kids. And we were in the minivan, and we are in the parking lot getting ready to leave. And he had told me, he goes, listen, it is never right to hurt anyone. You should, you should not result to violence. And then there's this long pause. And then he turned around, and he goes... But you always stand up for your family. He's like, you did a good thing, and I remember just being like, okay, I think I understand all yes. of these lessons going on right now. But that was my dad. My dad was always just like, you, 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 you should stand up for people who can't speak for themselves. You should stand up for those. Um, you know, who are hurting or being bullied. And maybe, he's, you know, obviously violence isn't the answer, but standing up in any way is, is a good thing to do. So that's my dad.
1: So the no man became a yes man.
0: He became a yes man in that moment. Yes, he did. So so my dad's one of my biggest supporters. Yeah. You know, he's been wonderful and he is wonderful. And he's just he's very simple. Yeah. You know, I think when I tell stories about my dad and other different parts of my life, um, they expect some superhero type guy and if you see my dad you would pass him on the street and not even look look behind you he's just he'll have his st louis cardinals t-shirt on Mm -hmm. um and he'll just be walking down he'll be smiling and he's just he looks like any other dad out there
1: well i like to say superheroes seldom wear capes (laughs)
0: <laughs> True. <laughs> you know, I mean
1: usually usually it's not the guy with the cape on that you ought to be asking for help. That guy you ought to probably be running from. Right. It's well, guys if he like wearing a dad. cape, yeah. Yeah. There's uh, a lot of questions. Tell here. me about your mom.
0: My mom. My mom's the strength. She's the one that um my mom is like an AT and T call center. She, every form of communication goes to that woman. Through all of us six kids, we all go to my mom first before we talk to each other. So we're like, we have we've learned as adults we have to stop this because one day mom's not going to be here. That's right, and we won't know how to talk AT&T to each my other. My clothes, <laughs> yeah. But mom is mom is that one who's she is kind and she's compassionate and she'll sit there in the living room or in your bedroom until four in the morning listening to you rant about you know how somebody said something about you in school and it hurt your feelings, whatever it might be. But mom was just always there and she is always there. And she's the one who brought faith into our life. She's always praying for us. And she would talk to us um, about our faith on a personal level. And she was vulnerable with us in that way of just showing us um, how to incorporate prayer in our life and how to incorporate just compassion for other people. Mm -hmm. My mom was really big on once again, just reminding us that you don't, just affect yourself with any decision you make. Like it'll affect everybody. And when you live in a home with, um, you know, we have I have six, I have there's six of us kids. So when you live with that many people in one home, you realize everything you do does affect one another. Yes. And my mom would use lessons like that to teach us about the world, and saying like it's not just us. You affect other people. And so, she's always just been very powerful in that way.
1: When you were growing up on 300 acres, dreaming, yeah, about tomorrow. What were you imagining you might do in your life?
0: I, I never knew what it would be, like how it would take form. But I had a very deep, strong sense that I was called to do something really good. And it was something I couldn't ignore. It was just something within me that was calling me to be better than I was yesterday and that I could do something good to help others, to inspire others or whatever that might be. And I I remember feeling that many, many times growing up in the quiet of the farm. Honestly, it was there where that kind of became very real for me. And I just knew it. Mm-hmm. I just knew it. I knew that I was called to do something good. and. I didn't know what it would be or how like how it would take form, um, but I knew the calling was there.
1: Well, let's start talking about the answer. Yeah. So, you, you know, you, you, yeah. you feel this calling. What, as you go through school, what is your, your focus? What is your professional journey? <laughs> what do you want to do?
0: Well, when I was going through school, high school, college, you know, graduate school, I mean, like, I had lost my way quickly, um, and I was just— striving to find what that thing was just dying to kind of figure out like what is that good thing that I'm supposed to be doing trying to find out in every every little path I was on I think for me um, a lot of the problems happened when I was 15 and I was in high school and um, I had just moved to St. Louis so I was born and raised in Oklahoma and I in my father's job um, transferred us to St. Louis he was working with at and at the time and I was in a new group of people, new school, new trying to make friends and mm. trying to feel connected, and um, I decided to just kind of do what everybody else was doing and thinking that that would help me, you know, f- have identity and worth and value and all all that stuff. And so, um, a lot of my girlfriends had boyfriends, so I thought maybe I'll just get a boyfriend, you know. I don't know. And I think a lot of young women um, and even just regular women today, um, we sometimes. Mistakenly f- try to find our own identity and our worth in other people, and you know there's a lot of problems that can arise when 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 we do that and we don't see the value in who we are, um, regardless of who's holding our hand. Mm-hmm. And so for me at 15, that's kind of where things began to actually go downhill and I probably got further away from that call to greatness at that point thinking I was actually doing something that was going to keep me more united and and with people and having community and so I grabbed a any boyfriend any like the, the first guy who gave me attention I grabbed and, and began dating him and um and I you know I I, I tell the story often in a lot of my talks but it really was for me not just the boyfriend but for me at 15 there was a big homecoming dance and um I was all getting ready and I thought it was going to be great and um and about a week before the dance, my boyfriend's best friend, you know, said, hey, listen, are you ready for the, are, are you ready for it? And I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm totally ready for it. And he's like, no, Leah, I mean it, you know, are you ready for it? And I shook my head like, uh, y- yeah, 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 yeah. No, Leah, come on. And I was one of those kids in high school where if I did not know what something was, I just pretended to know exactly what that thing was until I figured out what that thing was. So I just said I agreed. Oh, yeah, of course it it it. I'm totally ready. And of course, he was thought that was a little strange because of how I said it. And uh, I don't blame him because I would, too, if I was a guy and some girl saying, oh, yeah, I'm just totally
1: (laughs) ready for
0: it. You know, you're like. You should back away slowly or run. I don't know if a girl says that, but but I didn't know. So that's just how I went for it. And, um, you know, I come to find out, like, later on that day when my girlfriend's is like, Leah, I heard you don't know what it is. And I'm like, oh, of course I do. And she just says, well, then tell me. You know, and she called my bluff. Yeah. So she ended up saying to me, come on, Leah, it is sex. I I, I can't believe you, you you don't know about this. And I was embarrassed. And I was, you know humiliated, actually, and uh, wanting so badly to belong, I just decided it was obvious that that was what was being hoped for. So I decided just to like not even talk about it, not ask any advice from anybody or or, or, or think about it because it scared me. And it scared me and I didn't and it made me feel um, uncomfortable. And it made me think that there might be change involved if I did think about it. And so I didn't do anything. And I let kind of fear control that part of my my, my life at that point. And so homecoming night came and I got all dressed up and there's all those parties afterwards. And I ended up getting to a place where I had that choice to make. And, um, it was there, you know, now I kind of look at it between authentic love versus imitation love. Um, but I ended up making the choice of imitation love Mm
1: -hmm. and I gave
0: away my virginity at 15. And that was really impactful for me because, um, you know, you know, as As a Christian, as a Catholic, i I understand that God is God has asked us to to save that act for a husband and wife um, for marriage, and there's a lot of good reasons for that. Um, and regardless of Christian beliefs, there's a lot of really other good reasons for for that type of intimacy to be in a type of relationship that's that's really fully committed. And so, um I didn't understand all of that, and I think what really impacted me is not just that act, but I did not think I was worthy of starting over. I didn't think I was worthy of forgiveness or mercy. And that single-handedly began to shape my life because I then did not value who I was. I, I made a decision trying to make everybody else happy, and then I was the one left with all of the pieces. And I did not think that I was worthy of forgiveness and worthy of starting over, so I began to live my life based out of fear and out of just trying to stay comfortable because that meant I didn't have to change. And I also led a life really geared more towards what the world and our culture promotes, which they were saying it's no big deal. Just maybe date the guy maybe a week longer or find a better guy or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of live by those tenets from that point on. And that just put me on a trajectory of living out of fear, living out of comfort, living out of a place where I'm really living I'm, – I'm living someone else's dream. I'm living someone else's ideal, and it's not even my own. Yeah. But I don't feel like I'm worthy to hold on to that dream I had when I was a kid – so I went along with it, and that brought me to a place where, you know, I saw my identity is is in the exterior. So I auditioned for a show like America's Next Top Model. And it brought me to that place where I just thought that what I had to offer was was what I could do with myself and what I could do with my body and how I look. And if
1: how old were you when you auditioned for that show?
0: I was twenty twenty one, twenty two. yeah
1: did you did you feel pretty? I mean, you know, I know we're on radio today. You're a beautiful lady. I'm curious, when you were a young lady, 20 years old, were you confident when you looked in the mirror like, my gosh, I do kind of have it going on?
0: No. I think I was aware, like, I had been told throughout my life, oh, you're pretty. And I could understand what they were saying, but I didn't, it wasn't something within me that I was like, yep, I am. Yep, I am. You know, I, I, I. There were some moments where I thought I had a good hair day, where I mm-hmm. thought, oh, I, you know, yeah, I, I, I do think I look nice. But when someone said, you know, oh, you're, you're beautiful, you're pretty, I don't know if I like could be like, yep, I know it. Now let's go on. You know, there's no, I didn't really feel that. Which is, you know, par for the course for a show like that. I mean, you have a group of women who are, you know, you have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people all over the, the the U S who are trying to get on this show. I mean, yes. like clearly if that's not a huge warning call, like, um, we need to be validated. Please put me on a TV show and tell me I'm pretty. I don't know what does. I mean, it it's reality TV. Yeah. I mean, give me a break.
1: I, I've always thought many comics are the ones that are least happy, least, you know, full of joy and many models, uh, and not all of course, but many models are the ones that have the least sense of self and, and true beauty.
0: It's a. It, I would. I would agree. It's a really big challenge when you take a picture and you realize after the photo shoot and once editing begins that you're not even good enough. That they have to edit so much out of you and put something that's not even real, you know, on your picture mm-hmm. within, with 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 in you for it to be acceptable. Um, and so you're always. You know even the model doesn't look like the model in the picture, right. You know, and so there's this there's this level that it's so surface in that profession. And so I went towards that profession because I was I thought that what I had to offer was just my exterior. And of course, I was living by the world's tenants of what they thought was beautiful and successful and talented and happy um, through my relationships with boys and through my my job choices that I was trying to go for and trying to make money because that was supposed to be something that was going to make me happy too. Mm-hmm. So I went towards that towards that type of a lifestyle.
1: I understand that you did that for several years, and there was this moment in time where you are, maybe even in a different country, I can't remember, you're doing a shoot and there is a, a, a big bright light from this flash, mm-hmm. and just for a moment, you kind of lose sense mm-hmm. of self, and in doing so, you actually gain sense of self. Will you, will you explain that story to me and also to our listeners?
0: Yeah. Um Yeah. So this is that moment, (laughs) Yeah, that moment that changed, um, that changed everything for me. Um, I was in the middle of a photo shoot in, in New York and, um, I was in there and I was not feeling comfortable and I was definitely not happy with my life. My paycheck had a comma in it. (laughs) I, um, I was at a place financially where I should have been extremely happy. I could buy anything I wanted at that moment, at that time, my life. And, um, but I'm in this photo shoot, and I've—I don't. I'm definitely not happy, and I'm trying to obviously pretend that I am because you're—you have to smile, you know, and you have to look good. So I'm trying to do that. And the photographer—we're in the middle of the shoot, and um, he—one of the flashes—I looked directly into it, and it's a rookie move, I know, but uh,
1: <laughs> I never do that. Okay, I just got <laughs> you guys listening. Uh, I'm in a lot of photo shoots. I never look at the flash. But anyway, <laughs> Rookie, go ahead. Right. Go, go so on. I
0: did. And it was um, it was in that moment, I remember turning my head and I held up my fingers so I could just regain some focus. And he obviously knew what I was doing. And I was uh, just trying to trying to, you know, get my eyes back to where I could focus back in onto the shoot. And I saw this picture in my head, and I saw myself standing, in, in like like a little movie was playing. I saw myself standing there, and I wasn't really alarmed because I had just seen a Polaroid of myself to check the lighting. So, I mean, I just thought I was seeing what I just saw, you know. And um, But I noticed I was wearing the outfit that I was modeling, but I had my hands cupped together at my waist. And then I raised them all the way up to, like, about the height of my head as if I was giving them to somebody. Um, And then I just saw out and up above me just the profile of a man's face and um, who like who looked at my hands and then bowed his head as I to me as if he was disappointed. And then I heard five words um, on my heart and uh, they just said, I made you for more. And. And I heard those words again and they were strong and soft, but they just kept, I just kept hearing them. I made you for more, I made you for more. And uh, obviously every time I share it, um, I get um, a little emotional because it's so personal and it was a moment for me where I wanted to believe it more than anything in the whole world. I wanted more than anything to believe that I was made for more, that I was more than my picture, that I was more than just this model, that I was more than just this paycheck, that I was really made for more. And that that feeling I had when I was, you know, 10 years old on the farm and, and dreaming and not knowing what it was, but just believing and having the hope that there was something really amazing that I was called to do. That, like, just reignited in my Mm -hmm. heart and I just I began to believe that in that second that I was made for more that I am made for more that I was I was made to do something more than what I was doing now with my life and so this only lasted a few seconds 30 seconds maybe less than a minute and the photographer was snapping his fingers saying Leah Leah come on focus focus let's let's get back in it and I, I remember trying to actually and then I caught myself being like wait why? What? But why? Why am I doing this? And that's just when I said, "I'm I'm sorry, I have to go," and I rushed off to the wardrobe area and took off their clothes and put on mine. Mm. I grabbed all my stuff and my bags, and at this point, they were shuffling, trying to figure out, like, "No, no, 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 hold on a second, we're almost done, we're almost done. You can't do this," and you know, we're doing all these people a favor to have you in the photo shoot. You can't just treat people like this is unprofessional. And there was a myriad of things that they began to say to lure me into staying, and. The very last thing that uh, he said, as I got to the door, my literally, my hand is on the door and he just said, Leah, now listen, if you leave, uh, you'll be a nobody. And I just turned and I said, do you promise? <laughs> and uh, if you know me, you know, I'm a little sassy, but at that moment I was desperate. And I just looked at him, I go, no, promise me, like promise me I'll be a nobody to you. And I had, I just knew in that moment I had made the world i had made other people i had made entities i had made a culture um everything to me and it was nothing i wanted Mm -hmm. and the faith that i was raised in the god that i believe in i made him nothing nothing and i wanted that to change um there's something true about about you know Believing that you are called to do something good. And there's something true about the fact that we are all connected to one another. And I wanted to live my life as if I was.
1: I know that for a while, your picture hung proudly and brightly in Times Square.
0: <laughs> yeah, I did. And
1: I also <laughs> know, I mean, just being honest, we all have pride. And that turns all of us on when you when you realize, woo, the pinnacle, baby. Times Square, that's me up there. Yeah. So I'm curious. What ultimately brought you more joy when you came out of the sub stop at 43rd or whatever, whatever cross street that might be and you see yourself up there or when you come out of that subway and you don't see yourself and you don't care anymore?
0: Oh, it's definitely the latter. When you don't care anymore. You know, I think I felt I felt so much better. I mean, after that moment of my having like this moment of conversion and this changing of my heart, that's when I felt free. Mm -hmm. It was like when I saw my picture up there to be honest with you and if I, if i if i understood the right language and the words to say i think i would have said it even back then but being in new york and seeing my picture in times square and seeing it on the side of taxi cabs and the subway as it go by i'm like oh there's me. there <laughs> th- th- there i go i'm on, I, I, i'm i'm you know i'm on i'm on the 5 um, but seeing that made me feel ch- it made me feel chained to something like, I've got to keep up now. Yeah. Now i got to keep up. Now i got to keep looking, that good or better. I've got to be skinnier than that. I've got to be have better skin than that picture right there. What's the next thing I'm going to do? Because you know what? Those pictures only last a certain amount of time, and then they're taken down. And then another girl pops up. And I've got to be better than her. I've got to be prettier than her. i got to be thinner than her. I've got to know more people than her. So it's competition, competition, competition. And there just came a point when I realized life is so much more about contribution than competition. Hmm. And if I am not contributing to this world to make it better, to inspire people to live the life that they've been called to, then what am I doing? Because competition does nothing but tear people down when when we're talking about the competition of like, who's the better person? You or you. And that's just not a world that I want to be a part of anymore.
1: You were seeing yourself on the sides of taxi cabs and the mm-hmm. Five Train and Times Square. We see ourselves on the the front of Facebook and in the reflection of the mirror when we look at it honestly. But we all are in that competition. Mm-hmm. All of us. So you, you, yours is a higher level, supermodel caliber, but we're all on that, that beauty pageant. Yes, we are. So tell me and us, how, how do we get off the catwalk and get back into life?
0: Um. If you're brave enough, um, especially when it comes to social media, um, unless it's literally like a part of your job or something, you know, mm-hmm. but um, but get off, just unplug for a bit, unplug and figure out what it is going on. Like, why do we feel the need to be so connected and feel so lonely? Hmm. And and that's there's a problem there. Um, is it breathing? It, or or how about this one? Whatever you are, the people you are following on social media, um, are they breathing life into your life, or are they strangling it? Are they making? Are they bringing out a spirit of of anger or bitterness or jealousy? Because that's not that's not helpful. That's not health. That, that's not even healthy. You know, you can even talk to doctors about how those types of yes. things actually change your thinking and your brain, and it create a mentality and a spirit where, like, you're working out of you're working out of jealousy or anger or fear, and that's destructive. Um, and so you know, taking a step back, and for me, that's one of the things that I did. Um, when I kind of left that world, um, social media was just on the rise, so I wasn't totally in. You know, um as maybe some people are now, but I did completely unplug. I stopped all of that and I got to a place of finding out, like, what do I like? You know, um, what are my dreams? Mm -hmm. Um, Who am I? Uh, How am I connected to this world in a bigger sense? And so just unplugging a bit allowed me to, like, reboot and able to get back into the world and be a part of, you know, social media in a place where I at least I knew who who I am and whose I am. Mm.
1: When you speak today, and I know you have various audiences all around the United mm-hmm. States, and I know your favorite audience is back home, three, two, and one and aged. Mm-hmm. but what do you hope your audience leaves with?
0: Mm. I hope more than anything that they leave with the sense that where they're at right now, um, that God is calling them someplace greater. That whatever they're doing in life, whatever screw-ups they have, whatever shame or guilt that they are carrying on, that life can get better. And in, it does involve choices. It involves being uncomfortable, and that's a good thing because we're, when we're uncomfortable, we are on, um, we are we are embarking on something new and adventurous in life. We are pushing ourselves towards the better version of ourselves, and that not only helps you and your family and your friends, but it makes the world better. And so, when we refuse to become that better person, we are almost refusing to live in a better world. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that we belong together, the fact that what we do matters and the choices that we make and even how we treat ourselves um, matters so greatly. And so I want more than, more than anything people to know of um, the mercy of God, of starting over and embarking upon a life that is free from those chains that we hold ourselves down to sometimes when they are attached to people or things that do not uphold um, our dignity and the peace that we have within
1: What do you do daily to stay in that place? Mm -hmm. It could be a a morning ritual. It could be something you do in the evening before you shut your eyes for the final time.
0: Right. Um, Well, I always start my morning with prayer. And my prayer can be something as just simple as gratitude. Just thank you, you know. Um, So for me, I just start in a place where I, um, I, I might have some specific prayers that I say, but more than anything, it's just thank you. Thank you for another day. And then I always, in my morning, um, greet my children when I'm home, that is, obviously. But when I I greet my children with a smile and I tell them, I am so happy to see you. And today's going to be an amazing day together. And I've made that a habit of telling every single one of my kids, even when they can't talk back, but Mm -hmm. saying it to them. And now my three-year-old daughter, Agnes, walks down the stairs and she's got, you know, sleepies in her eyes and she's coming down and she goes, Mom. It's going to be a beautiful day today, and I can't wait to spend it with you. And she says it on her own. Right. And so, I mean, I think just, just starting my day with gratitude. Well, that's a pretty
1: good way to start it right there. Yeah. When you, and this is kind of a personal question, but I'm mm-hmm. curious. When you look in a mirror today, mm-hmm. uh, older than the gal who was on the side of taxicabs. Right. Three babies.
0: Mm-hmm. Life has
1: happened. When oh, you look has- in the mirror now, what do you see?
0: Oh, I'm happy to be me. Yeah. I'm happy to be me. I see, um, I mean, I can, I can obviously re- recognize the wrinkles and the gray hair that I try to cover up with some color <laughs> every month. Um, uh, I see a little bit of crooked teeth and I, yeah, sure, sure. That, that's all there. Um, but I like me and I'm happy that I can live in a world where I'm giving the world the most authentic version of Leodaro.
1: Leah Darrow, where can we learn more about this authentic version of yourself Mm. online or where are some places that we can learn more? Sure.
0: Yeah, you can find me online. My website's LeahDarrow.com and I'm on Facebook and social media. Facebook's Leah.Darrow and Instagram um, is uh, Leah.Darrow as well. Yeah, Twitter, all that stuff. I'm all there.
1: You are all there. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you know, I kind of hinted to this right as you sat down in studio today. We have all of our guests go through the gauntlet of the Live Inspired Seven. There's seven questions. You're completely unprepared for these, but I know you've been prepared (laughs) over time for these. Okay, okay, I'm ready. I know you're ready. What is the best book that you've ever read?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, The best book I've ever read? Yes. Okay, it just came to me. The best book I've ever read that I forget the title of. How convincing am I? Um, (laughs) The Soul of the Apostolate.
1: So, I've never heard of it. Tell me about it.
0: So the soul of the Apostolate talks about um I mean, it's 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 a cr- christian book it's a book talking about how our interior life affects our exterior life and so if we want to do all these great works it only starts by having a deeply centered interior life and it does it's it's christian so proposes prayer obviously and gratitude and that time spent on working on our own you know wounds and issues Mm -hmm. and all of that but that any exterior any good exterior work is a result of a balanced interior Mm -hmm. life and awesome. so I I've, I, really, really like that one a lot. <laughs> uh,
1: what I love, you know, I have, I think, the best job in the world. After I hear about books I've never heard of before, I always <laughs> order them right away. So I'm looking forward to reading The mm-hmm. Soul of the Apostolate.
0: Yeah, it's great. It's a good one.
1: Tomorrow, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103. Mm-hmm. No, no one saw that coming, leaving you with millions. What would you do with that newfound wealth?
0: Okay, well, right now I would definitely finish this project that I'm working on in Haiti of building a medical clinic. Um, So I'm working with a group called Haiti 180, and they're putting together this medical clinic, and there's nothing like this in the area at all. People are are having babies and living and dying without any type of care, Mm -hmm. nothing. And so we are really close to finishing it, and I would just take the money and make sure that we could finish that whole project and get the doctors in there. And I'd be so excited because then they could get all the care as soon as possible. Awesome. I really wish I had this wealthy uncle that just died. <laughs> <laughs> we I mean we too. I, I pray for his soul and everything. I mean, I'm really sorry they died, but he is 103. You know what's I so mean, cool is
1: we, we've talked about kids and husbands and work and you know, Times Square, and you are more amped up with Haiti than oh, anything well, yeah. else you've talked about. Because so so cool. you get to
0: do something beautiful. I mean, you get to go out there and you get to help uh, people, people who, you know, who, who need help. And the poor can teach us so much.
1: Mm-hmm. so
0: much we, we we think that we can give them all this stuff and the stuff is not what they need the, the things that they give us are just remembering of how grateful we can be with this the smallest amount and the connection to humanity so um so yeah so in particular this project the haiti i just yeah i love my it. my heart's there i love it
1: I, we hear it if your house caught fire Mm-hmm. And your three babies, your sweet husband. By the way, your husband, will you tell us what he does for a living?
0: Yes, my husband is a firefighter um, right here in Clayton in uh, St. Louis. Uh, that's mm-hmm. right. I
1: got to meet him just a few moments ago. Yeah, great, great guy. Good old Ricky. And I love firefighters. So this question's apropos for you. <laughs> if your house caught fire, your husband's out, your babies are out, the animals are out, all living things... And you have an opportunity to run back in and grab one item that really does matter to you. Mm. What would you grab?
0: I would grab the crucifix that's above um, my bed. It's the crucifix that Ricky and I held on to when we said our wedding vows. Awesome. How long ago was that? Five years ago. Congrats. Mm -hmm.
1: If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to hang out with?
0: My grandpa. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Tell me about grandpa.
0: My grandpa, Dale. um, He was just, he's just a man of few words. So I think if I could get him alone on a bench, he might say a (laughs) few more. But um, he just was incredibly wise and prayerful and kind. And every piece of advice that he gave me was always right Mm. and correct. And he listened to me and he knew me. And when he spoke to you, he would always look you in the eye. And he was never bothered by anything exterior um, and he knew who he was, which I really loved about him. He just he, he he knew his own limitations, and just being around somebody like that, so authentic and kind, brings out the best in anyone. Woof.
1: I wish we could drop the mic on that, but we got a few more to go. So here we go, with Grandpa Dale sitting next to us. What's the best advice that you've ever received, whether it was from Grandpa mm. or anyone else?
0: Trust your gut. I was a new mom. I was pregnant, about ready to deliver my first child, and one of my very good friends, uh, Natalie, who's the mom of six kids, I said, "Tell me some, tell me some advice." And she says, "Don't take any. Trust your gut." <laughs> she goes, "There's so many books about, you know, babies and whatever." And so, since then, I, I've, um, I've used that advice a lot you know, mm-hmm. to a certain degree of like, okay, so I, I, I of course want to be well informed, but trust my gut mm. and trust that I know what what's what, what's best in the situation especially when it comes to like maybe your own kids but yeah, but yeah it's been good advice in a lot of different areas
1: leah what would you tell your 20 year old self
0: mm. i'd say it gets better <laughs> but you're gonna have to be brave and you're gonna have to choose things that are gonna require you to change but it will get better but to never forget that god made you brave and he made you strong leah and i would just make sure that i listen to that mm.
1: Good advice for a 20-year-old in Times Square, but I think it's great advice for all of us today. Mm. Uh, final question. You made it. It has been said, Leah, that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read?
0: Um, I probably would just say I believe in hope. I believe in hope. I, I believe that hope has a name and a face. I do believe that that is Jesus Christ, but I believe in hope. And wherever your hope lies, just as long as you have it, because hope can carry you through dark moments. Hope can carry you through that thing where you want to give up. Just don't give up hope. Hope can change lives. Mm -hmm. Hope can change the world.
1: Leah, you heard a voice almost a decade ago that reminded you that you are are made for more than this. And uh, I hope you hear loud and clear the voice that says today, you, you are living perfectly uh, what, what you have. You are enough and more. So we appreciate you sharing your experience, your life, your journey, mm-hmm. your beauty inside and out with us today. It's been a real pleasure having you with us.
0: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I really my, do. My friends,
1: that was Leah Darrow. This is John O'Leary. And today is your day. Live inspired. Well, my friends, I would imagine in our marketplace, there are days when each and every one of us struggle with our beauty with the way that we show up with the reflection that we cast in the mirror of life leah today took the time to remind us that indeed we are worthy that you are enough that your hands are indeed when cupped that they are full and they are running over with with grandeur and splendor and beauty uh if you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you, take a few moments right now and share it. You can rate the show. You can share it on Facebook, on Twitter, and any social media site that you leverage. But tell your friends about this conversation. Tell them about the ones that we're having through the Live Inspired podcast. Remind them that in spite of some negativity in the marketplace, that we're having conversations here about real beauty In real life. True significance and the ability we each have in our lives to impact those around us. I am so grateful that you are tuning in to the Live Inspired channel. So grateful that you are part of our community, part of our family. We are now gathered globally by more than 500,000 other who are downloading these episodes and uh, because of it benefiting not only in their own walk, but in the lives of those they choose to serve through it. So thanks for being part of this family. If you want to learn more about this family, learn more about these podcasts, learn more about our movement, check out my website at And My friends, we're going to have that special piece at the end of this right now, so get ready for my final question of Leah Darrow. Hang on for it. You're going to be glad you did. She's beautiful inside and out, and she will remind us of that truth alive and well in our own lives. So stay tuned for my final question with Leah For this time, and until next time, this is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired. What would you tell girls and boys, 13 to 69, who are looking in the mirror and they're not happy with what they see? Hmm. What's the advice for them?
0: When they're not happy with what what None of us are happy,
1: truly. So what what would you say to those folks?
0: I would say that, one, there's reality that people are going to talk. Usually we don't like what we see because we don't think other people are going to like it. And so our focus is on other people and their opinion of us. And so um, people are always going to talk. If you do everything right, people will talk. And if you do everything wrong, people will talk. So you might as well just go and live your life the way that you know is right and true and good. Mm -hmm. And so to make – for me, I always tell the kids that I talk to, especially when they're younger, I want you to write a list of every amazing quality that you have. I don't care if it's like I can write a great paragraph and creative writing. I can catch up, whatever it is. Write everything good that you know that you you can do, um, and it's good for them to like see that list and to see something practical and and they they can write out um, and then you know reflect on that too. Remind yourself that you're more than what you look like. You're more than what you see, and and we have to believe that because this is just nothing. Mm-hmm. The exterior is nothing. It's like if your heart is, I mean, some of the most beautiful people I know have a heart that is black and like ice. So where does that beauty go? You know, and the beauty, the beauty of the face only gets you so far. But the beauty of a soul that will take you all the way to the end. That's what I would say.